0: podcast Unimagined, where current and former students share how they imagine education in schools could be regarding student leadership. We asked them to share about their experiences and offer advice on how we can all do better. In this episode, we had the opportunity to interview Joe Simeone. Lorraine and I both had great interactions with Joe in the past in high school and at the advanced studies program in St. Paul's. Joe is a junior business and history double major at St. Lawrence University and he's also an intern right now for Senator Maggie Hassan's office. He's really passionate about helping others. He's a published writer for Weave News and is interested in a career in public relations or marketing after he graduates. He also hopes to possibly work in public office in the future. obstacles.
1: Imagine what they will do. I
0: know you can too. Joe, would you mind going over what your top five strengths are and if you think they ring true to how you act and what you do and how they apply to like your leadership styles?
2: My top 5 I'll just go in order from 1 to 5. At number 1 I had love, 2 was spirituality, 3 was judgment, 4 was appreciation of beauty and excellence, and 5 was leadership. I'm not sure if I necessarily uh thought when I was taking the quiz if I was going to have those in that order, but it was definitely interesting to see. I'm more of a personal spiritual person. I'm not necessarily like a organized religion type of person, but I guess I never really put into perspective how much my spirituality and faith sort of guides me in a lot of things implicitly. And having, you know, spirituality at two with appreciation of beauty and excellence at four, those were things I definitely wasn't expecting, but it does kind of make sense. Love at number one, in terms of my leadership style—I do try to just look out for the people in the group that I'm leading.
1: Joe, so you help lead my students through challenging issues and conversations.
2: Growing up, I never really thought of myself as a leader, especially in you know elementary and middle school. That time of a lot of kids' lives is just an awful time in terms of just like you don't want to portray yourself as the leader because you know you may get kind of made fun of or things like that. But I think once I got into high school, just meeting different people that I hadn't grown up with since day one sort of just kind of opened my eyes to different experiences and allowed my inner personality to come out more. And I think through that allowed me to kind of just take on roles that allowed me to take a step further than I feel like I would have been more comfortable doing in the past. Probably the first time I ever had an experience of actually trying to be in a position to help guide people in a direction that would benefit them rather than just kind of being a follower of a freshman advisory that was my first time really making my impact on others in that type of way through that experience you know being able to work with two other really smart people it opened my eyes of different ways that you can be a leader rather than just being the dominant voice in the group, being able to feed off of others' energies and be able to understand the people who you are leading is really important and understand the ways that they respond to different types of leadership. And I think in that freshman advisory group, I was that's where I learned those things.
0: When you talk about developing those leadership skills in high school, I know I had an interaction with you. I could definitely tell that you're, you are the leader in a crowd, even if it's in your own way. So what are some struggles you may have faced getting to that point of becoming your own natural leader?
2: Yeah, I've always been a very uh, self-critical person, of worried about what others think of me when I'm doing something. That has always been my biggest challenge to this day of not wanting to come across as someone who's preaching to people. I've never wanted to come across as someone who feels like I know better than you. That definitely type of mentality is something I've always struggled with and what others think of me. And I think specifically during that time, my summer between junior and senior year was just a time where I felt. A sense of confidence growing and that really changed my outlook on that type of thinking of you know people always going to be no matter what I do people are always going to think certain things of me and I think that's can be applied to all sorts of everyone really and I think that being a leader still to this day is just sort of like something I don't like to necessarily say because I don't think that I'm trying to lead people per se. I think I'm trying to just sort of help people in that situation or whatever the context may be.
1: I want to ask you to reflect a little bit about how you really listen to others. When, and when there are stronger leaders present, you let them help you and guide you. Do you see that quality in other leaders that you've worked with or you see them in public office? Do you see that as a strong quality of an actual
2: leader? Absolutely. I think the one criticism to that type of leadership style is it can lead to groupthink, not being able to stand firm on your own personal beliefs. But the way I think of it is if you're always just going to stand there and say my way or the highway it's only going to be helping a certain amount of people in what you're doing. So for example, um, to put it into a smaller context, if I had gone into your freshman advisory and just went with the leadership style that I'm the most confident with, which is being really interactive and just try and really just talk with just people in general. And I have an easy time leading people who are similar to me in that sense, where they're, you know, super energetic, and they love to talk and they love to participate in things. But then, you know, not all people are like that people, a lot of people prefer to be just sort of reserved. And it's not because they're shy, per se. And even if they are shy, it's just that's the way that they are. If I were to just go in only interacting with those energetic, talkative kids, then I wouldn't have been able to make as many connections. To come back to your question, being able to work with other people who can relate to the other people that I necessarily can't relate to on that type of personality level in terms of being more reserved because I am a more outgoing person and I love to talk to people and I know not everyone likes to do that for sure.
0: Lorraine talked about a legacy. If you want to just describe for people who listen what that is about.
2: I kind of just took the legacy on its face value of just like what the term legacy in a broader sense means to me and what type of legacy I would like to leave behind. And I take that with me now in the sense that legacy is so important in everything I do. The idea that we're only here for a certain amount of time as people. And what you leave behind is almost more important than what you did when you were alive. And to speak on a more sort of deep sense, but I think that doing things that necessarily you weren't comfortable once doing is definitely really important. And I guess to give a more recent example, during this pandemic, especially during this last summer, during the whole uh, BLM protests, and the things that happened across the country and across the world, really, with re-sparking the social justice movement for all people. I wanted to do something to not just march in the streets and protests, but to leave something to show that I'm trying to be a part of progress. And I joined a grassroots news organization called weave news in when I was in my fall semester at st. Lawrence and I decided to write about how professional athletes throughout the decades have been instrumental in being a part and sometimes even giving great leadership to social justice movements and most recently being Black Lives Matter. I mentioned in this article about how athletes such as Colin Kaepernick, what he's done the past four to five years, and bringing awareness to police brutality against Black Americans has been so important. And that in itself is a legacy. He will be remembered more than most NFL athletes. And and there's a reason why. He was, he was a great quarterback before he got sidelined. But the purpose of what he was doing was something greater than himself. I felt that writing about people like Colin Kaepernick, not as just athletes, but as people and as people who have thoughts and feelings, and they're not just these superhumans that we all look up to on the TV. Most of these athletes are athletes of color, and they can relate to these organizations and movements like Black Lives Matter. They're... Leadership and all sports officials need to take them more seriously, not just as products, but as human beings.
1: Taylor, Joe started feeling this sort of movement in his senior year, I could tell at that point that he had something inside of him that he really wanted to capitalize on. He hadn't really figured out how to use the voice the way that he wanted to use the voice. I think the population that we were sort of circulating with wasn't really ready to take on what Joe was ready for. Seeing an article that he published about this idea really hit me as not not only is Joe showing extreme leadership by calling out and drawing our attention to it, but he's recognizing the incredible leadership skills in these athletes and what courage it must have taken for Kaepernick to do what he did amongst all of that adversity. So hearing you talk about it now, Joe, it just, it really, it gives me chills and makes me so excited for the future, knowing that somebody like you is writing and sharing those viewpoints to maybe the people in our circulation who weren't ready to listen to it three years ago. So that's kind of where it came from, Taylor. And it's really exciting to see the growth that Joe's made in this idea that he had as a senior in high school. And now he published an article, which is just pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have so many things that you're passionate about and that you seem to care about from the activism standpoint, the leadership, the athletics, just dealing with a lot of different things that you are fighting for and care about a lot of students I think the reason that they have trouble stepping into leadership positions in high school and younger or even older is they can't really find something that has stark a spark inside of them or that they care about what would you say to students who are struggling to find something that they really care about that they can become a leader through that they want to exercise that muscle
2: with? it's a very cliche answer but really not just trying different things but trying things that really horrify you because in my experience trying things that scared me those were the ones with the most impact i was horrified to go to asp i was a junior in high school it was the last summer of my high school life before it would be the summer going into when i would be going into college and i had no want whatsoever to do it i only applied because my parents were like you know you, you should at least apply and then we'll see what happens and then i actually got in it's five and a half week program it's where you're living on that campus and you're taking a class and doing some recreationals with other kids around the state i felt going in super alone and really scared almost like practice for what it was like going to college That was horrifying. But when I got there, I not only just met different people, but I flourished as a person because I found a sense of confidence that I didn't have before. And I realized in that confidence that I need to stop selling myself short on so many different things. And I use ASP as an example here because I feel like there are so many things that people are horrified to do, whatever that may be when you're in high school, or even middle school, you may be horrified to do those things. But a little part of you is thinking, well, I mean, that does seem pretty interesting. Even if there's that little part of you that's thinking, man, that would be kind of cool. But like, think of like the social backlash or think of x, y and z things that could go against me, my advice would be To at least try that thing. And if you really hate it, then it's not for you. And then you move on to do the next thing. It's not just trying something new, but it's trying something that's scary is how you can develop and flourish.
1: Joe, that leads me to ask you another question. because I have heard that piece of advice from several of the student leaders that we've interviewed. How do teachers support students and create those opportunities to push students outside of what we're calling their comfort zone? Because you're right, that is where growth is really going to happen. But if I, as a teacher, don't know how to provide that to you, what can I do?
2: Yeah, I think that's the million dollar. Our question. You have these great ideas, but we're also talking about high schoolers, especially in this scenario. And high schoolers, as I mentioned before, this is a time where you're finding who you are as a person and you develop this sense of identity. And you're like, well, I don't really want this person who's my teacher to be telling me what to do, not just with class, but with my life. You have this sense of retaliation at that time in your life. I'm not sure if I necessarily have an answer. I do think that. Putting more resources into student-led things would probably be my best advice. Making it so that organizations led by the students are the things that are not making students, but allowing students to explore different avenues. In my personal experience, I would think that would be the best way to get people to do different things that maybe they weren't necessarily interested in before. When a teacher is telling you, you should try this because... It'll push you out of your comfort zone and make you a better person. At that time in your life, you kind of just want to naturally reject that. And it's not necessarily your fault. That's just kind of what happens. That may be different for other people, but I found that doing things that were collectively led by students and pushed by students that were positive had a deeper impact and easier to reach to all different students. It's things like this where I would advise at least that school boards would look at student-led things more. Joe,
1: do you think there are examples of student-led things that you think could easily be added into schools?
2: Absolutely. One of the first things is really pushed on you when you go to college, at least in my experience, is all sorts of different clubs are trying to attract you to do something. I joining club boxing at school. Even though it was for only like a month or two and I didn't necessarily go as much as I wanted to, it was fun to do and I met a couple different people doing it as well. Then my sophomore year I started doing club soccer because I love playing. Then it led me to in March of twenty twenty, I created club co ed basketball at school. I mentioned this path of mine with my experiences from Clubs because clubs at high school sort of had this secondary effect or importance to not just the student leadership, but I could also tell from administrative leadership. You know, looking back, that's really frustrating because, as I said in the prior question, student led things are so important for kids to gain their sense of individuality and confidence. And for there not to be as much of an importance on clubs, it's either you play varsity basketball or you're on JV. And if you're on JV, you're a loser is the type of mentality. It's the type of harsh mentality that you think as a freshman in high school. For there not to be just club basketball, for there not to just be club soccer or club softball, you have this sort of intimidation that you have to be all or nothing. And if you're nothing, you're a loser. And that's the type of terrible, toxic mentality that is high school for a lot of people, for myself included, what I experienced as well. And that if there were not just to be clubs for just athletics, but more influence funding and more input on student-led clubs It would allow for people to be like, yeah, I'm going to be part of the school-led newspaper and it'll be something I can do just like once or twice a week. Maybe I'll be like, oh, I really like writing. Or it's like, eh, this kind of sucks and I'll just join something else. That's the nice thing about college is that you can be like, well, I'm not really feeling going to club today. I I need, I'm going to do something else. And it's like, okay, who cares? But if you're like casually wanting to play basketball in high school, you either have to be in varsity or JV games and practices every single day or nothing. And what, I wish would happen is that more clubs giving kids that age of ty- a sense of freedom, you know, a sense of freedom and choice is really important. So you, know,
1: you hit on some really great topics, key things here. And I think you really made me think about that aspect of club reducing the pressure and letting it be more flexible and not such a commitment because so many things are happening in a high schooler's life right now may not be the time that I can an extreme commitment. If you just like playing basketball, not the best opportunity to build your confidence and build your community. So yeah. I really, really appreciated that that idea.
2: And if I can add to that, you mentioned how there's so much going on for kids in high school. It makes me reflect on, this is sort of just a general critique of public education in a broader sense, the fact that you have to be at school at like 8.15 at the latest, and you're there until three o'clock. And if you want to have a good resume to go to college, you need to be either in student leadership or you need to be in a sport. So let me go through the schedule of my average senior year day. I woke up at 6.30 to be able to work out and then quickly shower and barely eat anything, drive to school, which took me 20 or so minutes, get there, be through class from 8 till 3, and then after 3, be doing my homework on the bus from a, an away game or something, and then I don't get home till 9 p.m., and then I have dinner at 9.30. How can school boards be thinking that is a good developmental system for their students? I was constantly exhausted throughout high school. It shouldn't be that I'm constantly exhausted for me to be developing as a person.
1: It is really, really valuable information because, remember, our audience is teachers and hopefully administrators. If we can say, hey, listen, listen to my life, listen to my day, and I as a teacher can say, huh, so I'm assigning this Because that's what we've always done. Do I really need to assign that homework? Is it busy work? Or is it really authentic work? And I don't know, being a teacher, I don't know that there's a lot of teachers who do that reflection. It's just what I do. I'm just going to keep doing it. And hearing from a student who says, is this really what you want me to be developing like? Because I, I don't know that I can function. And You're a motivated student. You're a driven student. Not all of us have that all the time. So how do we bring all students into that opportunity
0: to flourish? So not a rant. No. So Joe and I graduated the same year. And I think that we both probably had, I mean, just listening to you talk, I relate to everything you say. I think we probably had similar high school experiences. And when I was in high school, and I want to know, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had to be good at or try everything. I was doing varsity sport, robotics, and a club every single day of the week. It was actually exhausting. I think the students that believe that there are these expectations on them to be good at everything. Listening to you talk, I realized, okay, I am not the only one. And maybe this is really a problem for kids who want to be leaders. You have to know that you can't be good at everything
2: (laughs) exactly a hundred percent agree as as i was listening to you and then like reflecting on what i was talking about i'm very open about my mental health because i'm a firm believer that your mental health is just as important as the rest of your health i deal with general anxiety that's a very common thing i especially dealt with anxiety really badly my senior year and then my first year of college. I don't even think that I had time to be anxious in high school. I think that administrators might think, "Oh, that's a good thing. We made it so they were so busy, they weren't even able to, you know, be double thinking things that they're doing." And that's just wrong. To have this sort of mentality where you make a kid who's 14 14 till they're 18 be not influencing, but almost like you're forcing them to be doing a million different things while also having teachers assign a crap ton of homework, while also having to be getting to school before times that our biological clocks shouldn't even be awake at that point. The idea that putting so much pressure on kids, as a peer leader, I would always try to Speak to the freshmen as not kids, as people, because I wanted to level with them. But we really are just kids, even until through your senior year, you're a kid trying to figure things out. And not just the kids who are competing for the top position of Valvatorian or trying to get into Ivy League schools, you also have the kids who are, well, you know, I kind of care about my classes. There's just so much. That's being thrown at me. So it's like I said before, you have this rejective tendency when you're that age, which is ironic because all sorts of these teachers and administrators went through the exact same thing. I'm sure at that age, and yet we're like, oh, if you don't do everything, you're gonna fail. And then they try and give this whole, it's okay if you don't go to college, sort of thing. It's either you go to college or you're a bust. Your, your teachers don't ask you what are you doing after school. They ask you, what college are you going to after school? That matters. That affects someone's mental health
1: brings up the idea of like, well, I was able to do it. Why shouldn't I make you do it too? Or I was able to get myself together and get all of this done. How come you're not being able to do it and for, forgetting that I too struggled just as much as you did. So do why do I want to make my students feel that way? Why do I want to make my children feel that way? I didn't love it. I didn't enjoy it.
0: Let's make a change. I totally agree. And that brought me to some places where I did not think that I would (laughs) end up. (laughs) But again, I
1: think we have to lift voices of students up because if we don't, we're making decisions without evaluating how it's going to impact those we are producing these goods for. You know, if we look at it as a business model you're my consumer, don't I want you to buy my products? Don't I want you to be happy with what we're doing? And yet I don't wanna ask you ever because if you tell me I'm not doing it right, I'm gonna be upset.
2: Exactly. Successful companies have great unions of workers and you have student government in high school, but what does student government really do? It also does a real number on kids to think that all government doesn't matter, all representation doesn't matter, and then they don't care about the political civic process. What is the, essentially, you have the dominant power of administration over students, and then they give them this fake leadership position. One of my best friends was the head of student council in our class, and he always talked about how they, they literally couldn't do anything. And any time that they did tried to do something, the rest of the students would be like, oh, that's just stupid. Because the rest of the students know that student government right now doesn't mean anything because the administration will always have the overcheck.
1: You really hit the nail on the head by saying, we're doing a disservice of government because of the way we demonstrate student government. It should be exactly what you were talking about, voice and control and decision-making. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unimagined. What I really liked about this one was Joe challenged me as a teacher and asked me to reflect on my own practices. He made me think about the fact that just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean we should continue to do so. What is something this interview brought up for you? Share the podcast. Comment on issues you think we should ask students or help us to connect to a student.